Welcome to the Cancer Core Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, well, thank you so much, Anna, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Progress in the Treatment of Multimyeloma, and today's program is supported by an educational grant from Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC, and I really want to thank them for their support of this program today. Now, we have a lot of you on the program today. Um, we have over 156 participants on the program today, and you come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Canada and the United Kingdom, so it's a global call as well. And we're delighted to have all of you on the call today. And now, and our first speaker is Dr. Monique Hartley-Brown. And Dr. Hartley-Brown is attending physician, Jerome Lipper Multiple Myeloma Center, Department of Medical Oncology, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And Dr. Hartley-Brown will be addressing an overview of multiple myeloma in the context of COVID-19 and its variants, current standard of care and new and emerging treatment approaches, reducing complications of bone disease, and the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hartley-Brown. Thank you, Dr. Messner. I really appreciate it, and thank you, everyone, who's joined um, this meeting today. Uh, I have the uh, distinct opportunity and pleasure to talk to you about overview of multiple myeloma in the context of COVID-19 and its variants, and uh, clearly we know since 2020, uh, the you know our current <clears throat> world has been turned upside down, right side left, in all oppositional ways possible, and so we had to make a lot of rush decisions on how best to manage things for ourselves and the community at large, and for our patients with multiple myeloma, it was quite a struggle in the beginning. Uh, knowing that multiple myeloma is a blood cancer, uh, the primary cancer cells being plasma cells. The normal role of these plasma cells involve immune protection by immunosurveillance, um, and um, these plasma cells inherently uh, are part of the normal immune system. But in the case of multiple myeloma, these plasma cells are malignant, and so they do not function normally. And this leaves the patients at an increased risk for infection and more severe infectious outcomes uh, from a COVID-19 and other uh, bacterial uh, and um, viral pathogens. Uh, in addition, um, patients with myeloma will have a decreased uh, response to vaccinations. And so <clears throat> during this pandemic with COVID-19 and its variants present, uh, we have to think about increased risk and more severe outcomes um, for our myeloma patients. What we know thus far, two years later, um, is, you know, all the wonderful work that has been put into creating vaccines has been very, very beneficial for our patients. Um, vaccination is important, especially for our myeloma patients. Appropriate and adequate vaccination and 
and scheduled boosters help to protect myeloma patients uh, from uh, contracting um, uh, or having a severe outcome if, in the event that they uh, are infected with COVID-19 or one of its variants. In addition, we have other medications um, such as um, protective medications like monoclonal antibodies such as Evushield that offer um, uh, ways to reduce the severity of infectious outcomes for patients with myeloma who have been um, exposed to an infected individual um, but have not um, tested positive for um, uh, infection themselves. And so this is important to know because um, this, these types of medications such as Evashield are um, uh, really helpful in protecting our patients who have a greater immunocompromised state and, um, you know, may not be able to um, have an adequate response to the COVID-19 vaccination. In addition, we also have um, oral medications such as Paxlovid, uh, which is um, available. <clears throat> and this medication is, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a combination of antiviral uh, medications, um, uh, and it's the first um, antiviral pill that's approved by the FDA um, for use in patients who um, currently have a COVID-19 infection. And so this is also available for our patients should they um, be infected with COVID-19 or one of its variants. Uh, and so thinking about this, a keynote to consider is um, in the setting of all these therapies that we have available for treating myeloma, we um, also have to start thinking about, well, in the, in the pandemic, how do we reduce um, patients' exposures to um, being, uh, you know, being exposed to COVID-19? And uh, one of the good things about it is the development of immunotherapies that target the plasma cells. Some of these agents are oral agents. Um, there is a dichotomy um, with, with the treatment regimens that we um, will go into a little bit more uh, talking about. And the dichotomy is the advantage of having these medications is great because they have a, a good safety and uh, good toxicity profile. However, some of these medications, um, given that they are targeting plasma cells, which are mature B cells and part of the immune system, there's crossover effect on the B cells in the immune system. And so um, that can even further suppress your, um, uh, your immune system and thus um, can be considered somewhat counteractive. We have a similar situation um, with other patients with um, other heme malignancies. That said, the benefits uh, far outweigh the risks um, of treatment. And so it's clearly better for patients to have treatment for their myeloma, have their myeloma under control, um, uh, rather than um, uh, patients who do not have their myeloma under control and have um, active disease. Uh, one of the things we do know about um, some of the uh, the information that has been published in the literature is that uh, patients who um, <clears throat> who have been vaccinated with um, uh, or uh, vaccinated and boosted um, and have a history of multiple myeloma, uh, these patients do not mount as 
stronger response to the vaccinations as patients with an intact immune system. And so, you know, it varies in different studies, but you're talking about um, having about a 70% response to vaccines um, compared to um, uh, patients with an intact immune system. And that's for patients who have been properly um, vaccinated. So having one vaccine versus two makes a difference. Having your boosters after your um, two series of vaccines makes a difference. Um, and so, um, you know, it really, really is uh, important to think about that and be vigilant, um, get um, vaccinated and protected um, from um, infection and having access to the other modalities as we talked about to um, prevent um, uh, serious effects from um, uh, COVID-19 infection. Now, moving on to change gears, I want to talk a little bit about the current standard of care of treatment for multiple myeloma in the U.S. Um, and some of the new and emergent treatment approaches. And so, as I mentioned earlier, we do have uh, many new um, targeted immunotherapy medications for treating myeloma. In the past um, 10 years, we've definitely um, uh, you know, kind of improved our uh, treatment paradigm for our patients. And so we have multiple monoclonal antibodies um, available that are approved. We have uh, daratumumab, isotuximab, um, daratumumab being um, approved in the, in the initial treatment setting um, or what we call induction um, setting, um, and throughout, even in relapse disease, um, isotuximab remains um, approved in the relapse setting um, uh, beyond first relapse. Uh, and there are, um, there's elotuzumab, which has been around for a while and um, very, very tolerable um, and utilized in the relapse setting as well. And so we have a lot of data. I'm not going to go into trials and, and, and things like that, but I really want to um, uh, point out that um, in the era of monoclonal antibody therapy, um, we definitely have quite a few agents available. In the era of immunomodulatory therapies, we already know that Revlimid um, uh, you know, came after thalidomide, and that agent um, has been around for uh, quite some time now uh, and is very, very effective when used as a triplet combined with the proteasome inhibitor. The first in class was Velcade or Bortezomib, as, as you all well know. And Revlimid, Velcade, and Dexamethasone is considered the backbone of, um, of treatment in this country um, for standard of care therapy. But beyond that, we have um, now moved into combination with, um, for example, daratumumab with Revlimid and Dex is a well-known uh, combination that is very well tolerated in our older patients, patients over the age of 75, and has um, very high efficacy um, in um, treating the disease and keeping it under control. Um, additional new first-in-class types of um, agents, uh, we have antibody drug conjugates such as belantamab, mafodotin. Um, it still hasn't quite caught up in terms of its use in this country because of um, concerns of uh, keratopathy, which can affect um, the uh, corneal layer of the eye. Um, but we are we are doing. Uh, we're learning a lot about uh, managing this and, and how best to use this medication in our patients, especially in the relapse setting. So that is available as well. And, and 
I guess the new kids on the block, I should say, are the um, uh, CAR-T therapies, um, of which we have two that are uh, approved um, for use in this country. Um, there's Siltacel and or Carvicti and, uh, and Abecma um, or Idacel. And both these agents um, are approved in the relapse setting more than, uh, beyond fourth line uh, or fourth relapse. Um, however, I would say that... Um, these these agents are very very potent and um despite um having uh you know side effects of um uh a cytokine release syndrome and neurotoxicity most patients um are able to tolerate these medications very well uh caveat being that um it's not readily available in the in the community oncology setting uh and so there are um discrete centers that you may have to travel to in order to get these types of therapies but most of these therapies um that I'm talking that I mentioned um um are very much um available for patients and they can get it um at the location that it's uh, being um is available within and then go back to their primary oncologist uh, for further management of, of their uh, myeloma. Uh, in the era of COVID, we have learned to to combine our triplet agents with um, with oral uh, regimens. So we have a Selenexor, which is also available um, as a pill, um, another novel mechanism of action uh, with this medication and can be combined with um, with uh, with pomalidomide and dexamethasone or it can be combined with Velcade and dexamethasone. Uh, and so the all oral regimens um, we've been doing now for, you know, we've really been pushing them for a couple of years, especially with um, Ninlaro, which is the uh, only, or Isosomid, which is the only available oral um, uh, proteasome inhibitor that we do have. But in our older population, especially with um, uh, patients who are frail and probably uh, really don't want to travel out in the height of the pandemic, you know, um, having them on Revlimid and Isosomib uh, and dexamethasone and being able to, to utilize um, telehealth visits and in-home phlebotomy visits and things like that. Um, we've been able to manage these patients quite well for the most part um, without having them to be out and about and exposing themselves to potential um, infection with uh, COVID-19 or one of its variants. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to shift gears and talk a little bit about reducing complications of bone disease. Uh, we clearly know that with multiple myeloma, one of the effects of the disease is bone lesions and lytic lesions in the bone and uh, pathological fractures. And so even in the event of um, early diagnosis and, and, and no, um, no uh, evidence of significant uh, bone lesions at the time of diagnosis, we still recommend uh, you know, uh, treatment with either bisphosphonates, with Zomeda being the um, poster child for the bisphosphonates that we tend to use in multiple myeloma, but then also uh, for our patients uh, who have um, renal disease or renal insufficiency, uh, there is a rank ligand inhibitor, denosumab or Exgeva, as some of you may know, um, which can be utilized um, for uh, treating our patients to prevent uh, progression or um, development of, of uh, bone lesions or um, 
thinning of the bone or pathologic fractures um, in our patients. And so it's really important to um, to note that. I think uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that there are potential side effects of these medications. And so one of the things that we always mention to our patients is to, uh, you know, note that there can be the development of uh, osteonecrosis of the jaw, which is <clears throat> doesn't happen in, a, uh, in the majority of patients. It's about 3 3 to 4% of patients may develop some, some uh, 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 ONJ-type symptoms. Um, however, we're pretty astute in terms of, um, one, alerting our patients beforehand, two, getting dental um, evaluations and clearance because uh, uh, we do want to know if you're falling in the higher risk category for this, this potential um, side effect, and, uh, and three, being, uh, being on top of things and holding the medication if we need to or um, reducing the medication or changing things um, in the setting of, of, of any kind of signs or symptoms that are of concern. Uh, so all of these things are um, really important, um, and I definitely, uh, uh, you know, try to get my patients um, to take bisphosphonates or uh, some form of, of uh, protection for uh, their bones. And finally, I, I want to say um, with the, the last few minutes that I have before um, handing it over to my colleague uh, is, you know, telehealth and telemedicine is um, – you know, an increasing, uh, you know, part of what we we do today uh, in terms of managing our patients, especially um, given all the infectious issues with the pandemic. And so it is nice to have this option, um, especially uh, to, you know, if we have a patient who has stable disease or we have a patient who um, is uh, in remission and, and stable on their therapy, uh, they may not necessarily need to come running to the office ever every uh you know month or so they can do a telehealth visit here or there maybe have a telehealth visit um or a telemedicine appointment um you know every 3 months or whatever uh and that sometimes is so much easier on the patient especially if they are over the age of 75 and have a lot of comorbid conditions uh and tend to have uh you know several other physicians that they need to see for other um, medical problems. Uh, so that is really, really helpful. Um, in addition, uh, there are other novel technologies for remote communication um, that um, that can reduce the patient's need to come to the clinic. And um, phlebotomies and um, local laboratories uh, will now, uh, you know, kind of sometimes link to your institution for where your myeloma doctor is so that you can get the tests that you need to get done locally rather than having to trek, uh, you know, 20 minutes, 40 minutes drive or more into the office for some of these testings uh, that can be done five minutes down the road. So I think there's a lot of changes that we're seeing in multiple myeloma. It's quite a complex disease. Um, and in the era of the pandemic, we've learned a lot and different ways of how to manage uh, multiple myeloma, still get all the benefits of many of these newer medications that are available, and um, do our best to uh, keep our patients safe and protect them from infectious complications of COVID-19 and its variants, as well as um, reduce their, their, um, their travel issues and concerns by increasing the role of telehealth and telemedicine within our, um, 
within our health system. And with that, thank you for listening, and I'm going to hand it over to Dr. Mesner and Dr. Madden. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hartley-Brown. That was really outstanding, just a stellar presentation, and also um, really set the stage for today's program, covering a lot of the topics that are so important. People were, I know have, I can see people are posting questions already about some issues here, so very, very helpful. Thank you so much. Um, thank you very much. And um, our next speaker is Dr. Summit Madden. Dr. Madden is hematologist and oncologist, Banner MD Anderson Cancer Center, Gilbert, Arizona, and Dr. Madden will be addressing clinical trial updates, how research increases your treatment options, preventing and managing treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, physical activity, and mobility tips to improve your quality of life, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepare list of questions, follow-up appointments, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Madden. Um, thank you, Dr. Messner. Um, thank you for the kind introduction, and uh, I really feel privileged to be uh, part of this workshop, to be able to connect with the, the patients and their caregivers. Um, so I'll go straight into the, the topics. Um, so the first one is the updates on clinical trials, and, you know, I think it's, it's a wonderful time to be treating patients with multiple myeloma uh, since we have so many new treatment options for our patients now and there's newer treatment options that are coming and treatment options that are evolving very quickly all leading to improvement in how the patients are doing, how they are feeling, the treatment side effects and, and making sure that we take care of uh, this, this disease. So fortunately, the, the FDA has approved in the last decade about 13 new drugs. That's a lot of new treatments that have been approved. So in myeloma, when we have a drug approved, there's several other combinations that, that are worked upon and several newer combinations uh, that are tested as well uh, in the clinical trial settings. And so several newer combinations have been approved for our myeloma patients, so that's really, really exciting. So I'll go over some of the, the recent drug approvals. So the first one that I want to talk about is uh, a monoclonal antibody called daratumumab or Darslec. So this drug has been around now for the last seven to eight years, but the newer formulation of this drug, which is subcutaneous, which can be given as a shot below the skin, just got approved a couple of years back. So it's wonderful for our patients. You don't have to spend hours receiving the IV formulation. This drug can be given over three to five minutes, and uh, the, the rate of infusion reactions that we experience with this drug in the subcutaneous formulation is also significantly lower. And again, this drug is now approved uh, both in the frontline as well as in the relapse setting. So that's important. Number two is a, an oral myeloma drug with a new mechanism of action. It's called Selenexor or Expovio. So it's a completely different class of drug. 
It's an oral medication that can be taken by patients at home. And this drug also is approved by itself or in combination with other drugs like bortezomib or, or Velcade. Again, wonderful option with a newer mechanism. The main side effect um, of this drug is mainly fatigue and some nausea. The, the other drug that has recently been approved is a, is a cousin of daratumumab. It's called esataximab, essentially the same uh, mechanism of action. It's currently approved only in the intravenous setting. But I think the, the most exciting development that's happening now is in immunotherapy. For the last few years, uh, and, and some of these have been discussed by Dr. Hartley Brown as well. So I'll just go over some of the, the newer treatments that we are extremely excited about, what we call as immunotherapy. So immunotherapy by itself means using the patient's immune system to attack or kill the myeloma cells. So there's a few drugs that have already been approved in this space and actually a lot more that are being worked upon in the clinical trial space and are expected to gain approval soon. So one of the targets that uh, we have in the, for our myeloma patients that uh, is called the BCMA. So the BCMA is the B-cell maturation antigen. It's the antigen that's universally present on all the plasma cells. So our treatments are directed towards this particular antigen. So one of the first drugs that was approved is called Belentamab, Belentamab mafodotin. So this is kind of an antibody that has a small chemotherapy molecule that's attached to it to kill the myeloma cells. This is given intravenously. The other type of anti-DCMA therapy is what is called CAR T cells. So CAR T cells essentially uses the patient cells, uh, patient cells that are genetically modified in a lab. This takes some time to be processed. There is a lag time. Patients require to be in the hospital um, to monitor for side effects. So that's CAR T cells. There's currently two types of CAR T cell therapy that is approved in the US. One is called the IDA cell. The second is called filter cell. Again, very, very exciting. Uh, several patients uh, who have received multiple prior lines of therapy have been treated uh, with these products and we are seeing very, very deep responses um, uh, for, for these patients who have been treated on these clinical trials. Perhaps the most exciting area of BCMA targets um, are what are called bispecific antibodies. Remember, CAR T cells need uh, production of patients' own cells. Bispecific antibodies are readily available or off-the-shelf option, uh, more attractive option. These can be given outpatient once a week or once every other week. These drugs, again, are currently under development, uh, can be given as a shot below the skin. I think once approved, they will be combined with other drugs as well. The, the toxicity appears to be more predictable. 
So there's several bite-specific antibodies that are currently being looked at in multiple myeloma. I would say at least six to ten products, and hopefully we will have approval of at least one of them uh, within the next month or so. The other exciting uh, drug or the class of drugs is what we call the cell mods. So cell mods are essentially cousins of immunomodulatory drugs such as the Revlimid and the Pomalis. So this is a newer class of drugs. Again, kind of works the same way as the immunomodulatory drugs, oral medications, and again, should be approved hopefully within the next uh, few months or in a year or so. I'm moving on and changing gears to some of the more common treatment side effects. Um, I think it's extremely important that we manage the side effects appropriately because multiple myeloma patients stay on treatment for a long time. Patients can be on treatment continuously. So we need to make sure that we are addressing their, their concerns and making sure we handle toxicity uh, appropriately. So one of the most, uh, the drugs that causes one of the most amount of toxicity in my mind is the steroid or the dexamethasone. A lot of patients that we give dexamethasone can complain of uh, difficulty sleeping. They can have um, acidity or GERD-like symptoms. Some patients feel mood changes. Um, uh, blood sugar can go up, all those things. So, uh, you know, the, the way to manage this is we need to appropriately dose Dose reductions are always helpful uh, with dexamethasone. If the patient is having acidity or GERD, make sure we use over-the-counter uh, PPIs, uh, antacids, etc. The other drug uh, which is commonly used is called lenalidomide or Revlimid. And one of the main side effects that we worry with this drug is uh, a blood clot. So a blood clot can happen uh, in the legs, it can happen in the lungs, so we need to make sure that all our patients are taking an aspirin or, or something else to make sure that they do not uh, develop a blood clot. Uh, a lot of times patients uh, in the long run may experience other side effects with the Revlimid such as diarrhea. Uh, that diarrhea can be controlled by using uh, over-the-counter uh, Imodium, and sometimes we may have to use other drugs to control the diarrhea, such as Lomotil. Uh, one of the other side effects from Revlimid is also a skin rash that can happen. Um, any part of the skin can be involved, usually the face or the trunk, is involved, and patients may require a small dose of Benadryl or steroids. So these are the most common side effects with Revlimid. We can take care of these side effects by lowering the dosages and symptom management. The other drug which we use commonly is called bortezomib or Velcade, and one of the most common side effects there is the sensation of tingling or numbness that can happen, um, which is called peripheral neuropathy. So every time a patient with Velcade comes to my office, I make sure that they are not having any of those symptoms because if they are, we may need to lower the dosages as well. Um, patients can also develop changes to their vision. They can develop 
a type of viral infection called shingles, so we need to make sure that the patients stay on valacyclovir. Uh, moving on to the next drug, uh, carfilzomib or kyprolis is again a proteasome inhibitor. And the main side effect that we worry about with this drug is high blood pressure and, and cardiovascular side effects. Again, if this happens, we need to make sure that their blood pressure is controlled appropriately on, on appropriate uh, antihypertensive medications. Uh, Daratumumab is a monoclonal antibody, uh, usually very, very well tolerated. The main side effect of this drug infusion-related reactions, which are very, very low. So make sure we treat all the patients with adequate pre-medications prior to receiving these drugs, such as uh, Tylenol, Benadryl, and steroids. Selenexor, the most common side effects that we see with this drug is uh, nausea uh, and, and fatigue. Uh, appropriate anti-nausea medications are very important when we uh, use these drugs, such as on Vincetron, or sometimes olanzapine may also be required. Belentamab is one of the drugs that has recently been approved, and as Dr. Hartley Brown alluded to, the main side effect of this drug is vision changes. So those are some of the most common treatment um, side effects. So moving on to my next topic, which is uh, management of symptoms. And again, here I will talk about uh, bone pain and bone health. And remember, almost all of myeloma patients will have some degree of what we call these lytic lesions in the bones. Even if we do not see these on the imaging, we still assume that lesions are there. So all patients with myeloma need to be on a bone strengthening agent. One of the most common drugs that we use is called Zometa or Zolidronic Acid. This is given intravenously. It's usually given once every three to four months initially, and once the disease is well controlled, it can be given once every three months, or it can be discontinued. The, the other drug that we can give to strengthen the bones is called Exdiva or adenosumab. This is preferred for Zometa in patients who have a poor kidney function. And this is given again uh, as a shot below the skin. Uh, we need to make sure that we are repleting the calcium and vitamin D. All our patients are on calcium and vitamin D. Uh, unfortunately, some of the patients may have uh, lifelong pain and we need to make sure that we, we, con we control their pain using the least amount of uh, pain drugs that we can. So that's, that's very important. The, the number two management that I will talk about is how do we reduce the risk of infections? Remember, uh, our myeloma patients, especially early on, remain at risk um, for infection. So, one of the things that we need to do is make sure they're on appropriate antibiotics. So initially, when I'm starting a new patient on therapy, I may want to prescribe an antibiotic such as uh, a Levaquin, at least for the first couple of months until their cancer is under control. Uh, 
um, I would need to make sure that vaccinations, uh, especially during the period of, of COVID, um, uh, that they are adequately immunized against COVID-19, and they are up to date on their flu vaccinations, uh, pneumonia vaccination, and also very importantly, uh, to check their immunoglobulin G levels. So a lot of our patients, especially with on treatment with monoclonal antibodies, may have low levels of immunoglobulin G, and that may predispose them to infection. So once that happens, we need to replete with intravenous immunoglobulin. So again, uh, shifting gears, uh, and in the interest of time, I'm going to keep this um, brief. Uh, including the quality of life issues and, and how to stay active. And, you know, my advice to any of my patients is to try to be uh, as physical as they can, especially early on in their disease. Once their disease is under good control, I have several patients who are basically back to their normal routine. They're, they're going back to the gym, etc. all those things. Uh, but initially, just to take it a little easy un until the disease is under control, uh, some gentle morning walks or yoga, all those things really help. And the other aspect of the quality of life issue is, is the mental health. Taking care of that, again, becomes extremely important. Make sure you get the adequate support uh, if, if it's either talking to a psychologist or by going into support groups the right kind of support groups such as the MMRFs or, or myeloma crowd, all those things are extremely important so that patients can be well taken care of. And with that, I'll, I'll pause and, and hand it back to you, Dr. Mesmer. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Madden. That was outstanding. Just a wonderful presentation and uh, just, just really fantastic and stellar. And um, I know there'll be a lot of questions for you for the Q&A as well. Thank you. And I'm going to say a few words now about Cancer Care Services, and um, I would just like to go over them briefly with you. Um, so Cancer Care is a national organization, and we provide free programs and services to people living with all cancers, including multi myeloma. And so you might want to wonder, what are those services? Well, most people will contact us from the United States. They call our Hope Line, 800-813-4673. And um, they will speak with an oncology social worker. When they call, that person will pick up the phone, and usually a person starts with their question or concern. So we do offer a number of different resources to people. First of all, we do offer practical, financial, and co-payment assistance, which can be very helpful to people, um, actually historically always, but particularly now um, during the challenges of the pandemic as well. Um, we also offer um, support services, a chance to talk with an oncology social worker about your concerns or questions that you may have. We also offer case management. So if we don't have the service that you require, we will refer you um, to organizations that will have those services. Mo many times the concerns are around food insecurity, not having adequate funds for food, or not having adequate funds for your home, um, your mortgage, um, or your rent. Um, and our social worker will take you, they'll take you virtually. They won't just give you a list of places to call. They will virtually take you to an organization. 
sometimes it's in your own community, sometimes it's regional, and sometimes national. And um, they will stay with you as long as it takes to get you the resources that you need um, for the questions and concerns you may have. We also offer online support groups for both people living with all different types of cancers, including multimyeloma. And we also offer support groups for caregivers. Um, so caregivers, but, and also for young adults as well, who may be caregivers, um, and older adults who are caregivers, or middle-aged adults who are caregivers. Um, and um, in addition to that, we do offer these workshops. Um, and we do offer a number of publications as well. Um, and publications are really based on these workshops. In addition, we do have a, a pet assistance program. So for those who have a cat or a dog, and you're too ill to either walk your dog or to um, change the litter box, or um, you don't have funds for food for your animal, the pet, um, we will um, assist you with those uh, needs as well. So we do have a whole uh, cornucopia of services for you to access. Um, and um, they are available to everybody nationally in the United States. Um, and for those of you who are outside the United States, you can visit our website, www.cancercare.org. Or actually, also people in the United States can do this as well. And you can post a question or concern or need that you have. And our social work staff will help you to find that resource in your country. Um, and also, if it's someone in the United States who prefers to post a question, you can post your question. And one of our social workers will help you to get the resources for that. And now, we're going to move on to the Q&A um, questions and answers, questions for our panel of experts. And I'm going to ask Anna to explain to you how to queue up for questions. Yes, ma'am. And if Anna? you would like to ask a question, you may submit your questions via the web by clicking the Ask a Question box. Okay. And we have a question um, from one of our um, online participants. and. I'm going to ask Dr. Um, Hartley Brown to address this question. Please explain the rationale for a four-drug therapy with pomalist, dexamethasone, darzalex, and cripolis for patients who are relapsed and refractory. Sure, uh, that's that's a good question. Um, okay, so. You know, currently with our treatment regimens, um, we know that um, three drugs um, is better than two. So, you know, our standard of care at this point is a triplet therapy. However, in patients who have relapsed disease, especially those patients who have high-risk disease, and some of those can be defined by high-risk cytogenetics that we see, which are mutational changes uh, within the uh, plasma, the myeloma plasma cells. Um, and so uh, those would um, sometimes... Uh, uh, we see those either in the newly diagnosed setting or in the relapse setting. But uh, the high-risk disease patients or patients who clinically have later um, relapses, uh, we can sometimes add a fourth drug um, to their treatment regimen. And usually um, most of the trials right now are looking at quadruplet uh, regimens. There's the Griffin trial that's looking at DARA, RVD. Um, there's the German study and an American uh, counterpart to it looking at isotuximab with RVD. Um, 
in terms of efficacy, safety, and, and um, you know, uh, uh, survival outcomes, um, and MRD uh, negativity, which is the depth of response that we are more and more looking for. In the case of Dara KB, K, K, in the case of Dara KPD or daratumumab, carfilzomib, pomalidomide, and dexamethasone, that would be a very potent combination that we may want to consider for use in a patient who is has relapsed disease, probably relapsed um, at least you know beyond second line, or they may have relapsed um, post transplant or very quickly, or they have signs of high risk disease. For example, if you had a trans uh, autologous stem cell transplantation and relapsed within less than 12 months, that suggests that your d disease um, is is behaving pretty aggressively, and so. Um, these may be some of the reasons why they might um, choose, uh, the provider might choose to um, use a quadruplet regimen uh, uh, with a monoclonal antibody and uh, carfilzomib being uh, second generation PI and pomalis being third generation um, uh, um, imid. And so um, it's really to try to control the disease better because we know that um, they probably failed previous lines of therapy that. Um, uh, that um, may have been uh, inclusive of a triplet regimen. So um, it's really to intensify the, the treatment to try to regain um, a, a good depth of response um, and try to maintain the, the individual uh, patient within uh, remission as much as possible and for as long as possible. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and our next question um, is for Dr. Madden. I have Muggis. And my doctor said that I don't need immediate treatment. Should I consider getting a second opinion? And if you could comment on defining what Muggis is and also and just the, um, the concept of second opinion. Sure. So, uh, you know, just like we have a lot of other cancers that have uh, a pre-cancer, for example, when you look at colon cancer polyp, is some high-grade polyps are like pre-cancerous. So there's pre-cancer to most of the cancers. So that the pre-cancer to uh, multiple myeloma is called Muggis. So Muggis is, it's, it's a very, actually if you look at the, the number of people that have this condition, it's, it's pretty high. So Dr. Kyle actually did a, a population-based study where he took the blood of all the patients, or not the patients, all the people above the age of 50 and he found uh, an AMGAS in about 3% of those people. So this is random population. So 3% of people of the white population has what is called uh, AMGAS. And the risk of transforming from AMGAS to uh, multiple myeloma is approximately 1% per year. So it's, it's like a really low risk. Now, within AMGAS, you can, again, risk stratify if somebody is high risk or intermediate risk or, or, or low risk. But at this point, you know, MGUS patients, since the risk is that low, um, the recommendation is uh, to see MGUS patients uh, about once every one to two years. You know, initially we, we may want to see an MGUS patient every six months maybe, but if everything is stable, then we can easily transition patients to once every year, sometimes once every two years. Um, so really because their, their risk is very low. What I do suggest for my 
MGUS patients is just to make sure that this is truly an MGUS and that your doctor has ordered all the appropriate um, blood work as well as the imaging to make sure it's not a more advanced uh, stage like smoldering myeloma, which has a higher risk of progression. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Madden. And a question for Dr. Um, Hartley-Brown. Um, my doctor recommended autologous stem cell transplant. Can you explain what it is? Uh, sure. Thanks. Um, so autologous stem cell transplantation is essentially uh, for our patients uh, who have received initial therapy and their myeloma is uh, controlled or put in remission, uh, what we can sometimes do is we um, give medications to those patients to to allow for their stem cells that live in the bone marrow to circulate in the blood, and then we um, will collect those stem cells from the blood, so kind of have the patient um, sit on a um, have a catheter in the vein, and um, that catheter will be um, hooked up to the machine, which is kind of like a similar to a dialysis machine, but it's essentially kind of um, extrapolating or pulling out the um, the stem cells that are circulating in the blood and kind of giving the patient back their um, their regular blood cells. And so we collect an, enough stem cells um, that we can uh, uh, have them stored um, in uh, you know in the in the in the in the proper storage area, usually frozen, um, uh, and then we have that patient uh, go ahead be hospitalized. Uh, we give the patient a high dose uh, treatment with usually it's melphalan based, which is traditional type of chemotherapy, and that is to essentially deepen the response that they may have had uh, from their previous. Um, uh, treatment that put them in the remission. So we essentially wipe, wipe, clear out the bone marrow with the high dose treatment. It's not an immediate thing, so you don't, you know, you get the melphalan going in a few days later. Um, you'll see that the the blood cell counts, all of them will be going down. So usually by you know day day seven to ten, somewhere around there, your counts are pretty low, and you may need transfusion support. Um, we give back those stem cells that we collected to the patient. So it's your own stem cells that we uh, thaw and we return, give it back to you. So it's almost, it looks like a blood transfusion, but it's your stem cells that we are giving back to you. And the purpose is so that the stem cells will repopulate in your bone marrow. So they go back to their home and they repopulate. And uh, and then eventually once your numbers are com coming up, meaning your blood count levels ha have um, recovered, we get you safely out of the hospital, and we kind of monitor you from there on. So it's a it's a whole process that allows us to essentially uh, deepen the response of the treatment that you've received, um, uh, and um, the deeper the response that we get, uh, uh, and the deeper the remission that we get, the um, that usually translates to um, a better progression-free survival. Progression-free survival meaning. Uh, Time before the um, time between uh, your your next relapse. So that's in essence the general um, description of what an autologous stem cell transplant is. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and for Dr. Madden, um, 
question. I have bone pain. Is there any medication to help reduce the pain, or will I always be in pain? Yeah, that's that's a that's a good question. You know, that is one of the main uh, issues in terms of the the quality of life um, for for a myeloma patient. So, you know, pain is actually one of the the presenting symptoms also, especially back pain. And it's important to understand how and why pain develops. So essentially, these, um, these myeloma cells are, are secreting proteins, which are um, essentially creating these small, tiny little um, lesions or holes into the, into the bones, what is causing uh, pain. So, you know, uh, fortunately, a lot of times the pain will improve as their myeloma gets better, but uh, and also the fact that you know anti-myeloma therapy that we give is probably the most important. The other drug that we have to use is a bone strengthening agent. So please, please make sure that you're on that. I still see a lot of patients from the community setting that are on myeloma therapy, but they're not on a bone strengthening agent. So. That is extremely important. The bone strengthening agent uh, stimulates production of the bones, so it may cause some bone initially, but in the long run, it's extremely helpful. And, uh, however, a lot of patients may need pain medications, especially early on until their disease is controlled, um, or some patients may may need um, pain medications in the long run as well. Um, so it just depends. Uh, very important if the patient does have pain uh, that that requires uh, opioids to make sure that you uh, see a pain medicine specialist uh, so that they can manage your pain appropriately. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's so important. Thank you. Um, and uh, a question um, to Dr. Hartley Brown. Um, what is the medication that can cause corneal inflammation? I didn't get the name. Oh, uh, sure. Um, I was actually referring to uh, belantamab mafodotin, which is an um, antibody drug conjugate. It's a new, uh, um, newly approved um, medication that we use in, in relapsed refractory myeloma. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 the symptoms or the effects on the eye that causes um, the keratopathy or the blurry vision um, are reversible and can be caught early. And so usually um, it's required um, uh, for patients to have an uh, ophthalmologic exam um, by either the op optometrist or the ophthalmologist to take a proper look at the, um, the corneal epithelial layer of the eye. So they really have to look in the eye and make sure they're not seeing any changes to that area that might... Um, be early signs of uh, this keratopathy. And that they can see that before the person actually has any kind of vision changes or vision blurriness. And if they do see that, they grade it. And, um, and then the um, oncologist would get that information before planning for any treatment. So if there's evidence of the keratopathy grade, um, uh, in the um, uh, in the eye by the ophthalmologist, the oncologist will either hold the medication 
or um, or and delay it, um, delay the treatment until those changes have have resolved. Um, it's not, you know, it's it's one of these newer medications that we we don't um, we, we we're still uh, doing a lot of clinical trials with this medication, but it is FDA approved in the relapse refractory setting. Excellent, thank you. And the question, I guess, for both of you, um, what about getting the monkeypox vaccination? One of the participants asked that question. Do you want to start with that, Dr. Madden? Uh, you know, I so yeah, I've been reading a lot about it in the in the New York um, area, um, and I'm I'm looking at you know how it's uh, spread by close contact, etc. Um, and you know, I don't know if there's enough information yet on the myeloma patients yet to to address this question. Um, so I I really can't comment uh, yes or no at this point. Thank you. I and agree. Doctors. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I agree. It's okay. it, it's unfortunate that uh, you know we're seeing so many things unfold infectious wise um, at this time. You know we're still in the midst of this COVID pa- pandemic, um, and now we have monkeypox on top of it. Um, but um, you know we know this is a problem um, because it's it is definitely uh, more and more cases that are listed um, being found in the population, uh, and it is you know contagious. So um, I would say at this time um, we're not exactly sure whether we should be having our patients with myeloma or any heme malignancies um, taking these types of um, treatments beforehand. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll have information about that soon, but at this time, it's, it's a little bit early to say. Uh, I, I'm in favor of, uh, you know, looking at the data and looking at the evidence that will show that it will be beneficial before, uh, you know, exposing patients to that. In the meantime, you know, do the routine things, be cautious, stay away, wash hands, you know, be very hygienic, um, and be cautious about interacting with individuals that you're not familiar with um, uh, because, you know, your immune system is, you know, compromised. So, Excellent. Thank you. Well, I want to thank our speakers. You've really been phenomenal. This has been an amazing call. You know, we've done this program before, but I have to say the questions and also our speakers, the, the synergy between um, all the great questions they were asked, and our speakers have just made this call really, um, really special. So I want to thank, um, I want to thank our speakers, and I want to thank our participants as well. Now we do have many more questions in queue, and we did say this would be an hour program, so that I do want to address people who have about these issues of questions. So some of you had had a chance to ask a question. Some of you have a question yet to ask, and some of you have questions that are mulling around your mind that you might like to ask. What I we suggest is that you take your questions and go back to your treating healthcare team. They, of course, know you the best, and they will be able to actually look at your medical records and help address your questions. And one thing I hope that you've learned today is that all your questions are important, and you need to ask them as often as you need to until you get the answers that help you to understand either your treatment management of treatment side effects, your question, all these things are important. So never hesitate to ask your medical team a question. So see today as a role play for the questions that those who asked a question. Um, take that information back to your treating healthcare team and all the others on the call too. Take what you've learned today back to your treating healthcare team. 
Now, most importantly, we don't want anyone to leave this call feeling that you're alone in coping with multimyeloma or in coping with any type of cancer. We want you to know that you're now part of a community of support, and we are all here to help you. And so that means that you certainly um, can utilize the service of cancer care. You want to definitely utilize the service of your healthcare team. And remember, your healthcare team consists not only of your treating physicians, but also consists of the oncology nurses, oncology social workers, patient navigators, financial navigators, all these people, dietitians, all the people in your institution who can be of help to you, physical therapists, all these people. And so be sure that you work closely with the healthcare team um, and they will be able to kind of address your concerns. And, um, and I, I want to thank you all for your participation. Also, you will be receiving a survey monkey um, uh, tomorrow after the program. And in that, in that, there's an evaluation that you can write comments about the program. But we also will provide all sorts of resources for you that our speakers may have mentioned during the call or that we have to give you so that you have additional credible evidence-based resources to go to. Um, we want you to really get your information from the most um, expert in the field. Um, so I want to thank our speakers, and I want to thank all of you, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.